please let your voice be heard right here on WHCR 90.3 FM, the voice of Harlem. So, <laughs> you saw him shaking it, right? <laughs> you were totally shaking it. In the judges. I am sick and tired of this objectification. I have never street harassed anyone in my entire life. That is a lie. And you know what? <laughs> I don't want to be street harassed now. You we have are... to take the brunt on behalf of all men. You know right what? Now. I have a lot of feelings. You're hurting all of them. We are back <laughs> on Let Your Voice Be Heard on 90.3 FM, WHCR, The Voice of Harlem. The date is January something, 2016. Why did I know what today is? Because I had a lot of Hennessy last night. That's why. Selena, the floor is yours. Thank you for that, Stanley. All right, guys. So we're back again. My name is Selena Hill. I'm here with Alyssa Fuchs, Jackie Cohen, and Stanley Rockin' Them Jeggings Fritz. I'm not, I can't <laughs> let it go. I just, I can't, Stanley. And I'm Never sorry. Never let go. And I'm sorry. Forgive me, but I just need you to turn my headphones up. Miss right. Deborah, please call and defend my honor. All right, guys. So we're making a lot of jokes, but we're going to take it back to November 2014. That was actually on November 22nd, 2014, was the day that 12-year-old Tamir Rice was shot down by a rookie cop in Cleveland, Ohio. Okay, so he was, I mean, if you, I'm, I'm pretty sure everyone knows, he was this 12-year-old black boy who was, he had a toy gun and um, another man, in, he was like walking around in public in this park at a recreation center. And I guess, you know, he was playing with the gun, maybe playing like cops and robbers or something like that. So this other man called 911 and was like, um, there's somebody walking around with a gun. It's probably fake, but he's scaring everyone. And then he repeated and said, like, you know, I don't I think it's a toy, but, you know, you should be alerted to this. So two officers, well, actually, the dispatcher failed to relay the fact that the person that was reporting this call said that the gun was probably fake. So the officer, so the dispatcher just told the two officers um, that there's a man with a gun you know, an active, somebody just like walking around with a gun, um, you need to go down there to the recreation center. So these two cops, they arrive on the scene and shoot him in two seconds. And it was just tragic. And everything was caught on video, shot down. Then he was lying in the, um, excuse me, lying in the grass, bleeding to death for four minutes before someone even, I think an FBI agent finally came to the scene and tried to, you know, resuscitate him or and then once um the um medical respondents came on the scene they tried to resuscitate him he died the next day and they also tackled his uh teenage sister Tamir's teenage sister was tackled too because she ran after watching her brother get shot and they tackled her to, to the ground mm. and arrested her yeah handcuffed her and put her in the back of the police car so you would think that with all of this being captured on camera you would think in some way justice would be served, right? I mean, those are the facts. That's what was seen. Okay, right? A year, over a year later, what happens is a prosecutor who um, was whose job is to indict people whenever some type of criminal suspicion is involved, this prosecutor is supposed to indict people. You have a 12-year-old child who was shot. So we just found out a few days ago that the prosecutor um, actually sort of presented a case on behalf of these cops. And no, there was absolutely um, so. The, and the grand jury did not. Um, they decided not to press charges against these two cops. I mean, I'm still flabbergasted. I definitely want to get reaction to the panel. We'll dive 
right into this. We'll talk to Alyssa, who's our legal correspondent, to find out how something like this can even happen. And we also want to hear from you guys listening. The number is 212-650-6903. And tweet us at BeHeard underscore radio. The panel is open. Well, a few things. First off, the uh, you mentioned he was a rookie officer. I don't. He was a rookie in that um, police precinct or that police, uh, not precinct, but that police department. Apparently, he had previously been employed by a different police department and was let go from that police department because they felt that he was uh, not somebody who was fit to be a police officer or fit to carry a firearm. And then he was rehired by this other police department, basically with no questions asked and with nobody ever looking into his background to figure out that he had been let go from his previous police department. That's first off. Second off, uh, with respect to um, the non indictment. I mean, as you already pointed out, the prosecutor controls all the evidence. It's the prosecutor's job to get an indictment. However, as I've mentioned on the show many times before, prosecutors also deal directly with police officers when they need to get indictments or bring charges against other people. And so the common wisdom of, uh, you know, the grand jury would indict a ham sandwich kind of gets thrown out the window when you're dealing with police officers because they're sort of insulated in some ways by prosecutors that are looking to protect them because of the fact that there's that connection between prosecutors and police departments, hence the call for special prosecutors. Uh, On top of that, you know, this still may be excessive force on the civil level, but apparently based on the presentation that was secret, you're not going to get criminal charges being brought. And that's really a shame. And and you've had a lot of people that have come out and done a lot of victim blaming about, oh, well, the gun was missing the mm. red cap and this, that, and the third. But, you know, Ohio's an open carry state. Right. It's not illegal to be brandishing a weapon. I mean, it is illegal to be pointing it at people. Um, and, and then there's just that failure to give information about the gun might be fake. And, and as you point out, they come up and they... They shoot without ever investigating what the circumstances are. So it's like a convalescence of so many different bad circumstances from missing him, you know, missing the ne- the negligence in his hiring to the negligence about the 911 caller to the prosecutor. And, and that all has, you know, s- kind of convoluted the whole entire system. Right. Reaction, Jackie? Yeah. I mean, I think this is everything about this is, I mean, unbelievable in the sense I w- Believable in the sense that this is America, this is now 2016, this is the world that we live in, but this is a 12-year-old boy, right? I don't know how, and the the person who called 911 originally had said, you know, he's probably a kid, he's probably a juvenile, it's probably a fake gun, but go, and how was that information not relayed to these cops who then don't hear that it's probably a child and don't hear that the gun is probably fake, so they're thinking that they're going to address an adult man with a gun, although... That shouldn't matter either. He should not have been shot. He should not have been shot. They shot him before they even got out of the car. Mm. Um, but because they just presume that this is someone, you know, they presume that this wasn't a child, that this was an adult man. They thought he was much, he was 12 years old. He was a kid playing with a toy. I think you're giving them too much credit, Jackie. I don't think they thought that this was um, an adult. I mean, I think they thought it was a wild, savage animal. Right. And I, I think that had that been a white boy or a white yeah. man with a gun they wouldn't have been so quick to shoot because yeah. as we all know ohio is an open carry state but when you perceive people of color or or people in general to be something different or not fully human then you can make these kind of moves 
So, and and that that's what happened. That this person doesn't perceive he didn't perceive that person as human or having humanity, and he thought it was okay right. to shoot him. And the grand jury and the people decided that hey, you know what? They're right because even though he's twelve, he wears waist thirty six pants. So and he's five seven. So he must be a killer. You know, and the orange cat was missing. Notwithstanding the fact it's an open carry state, as you point out. All right, guys. So we actually have a caller on the line, Freeman, who would like to let his voice be heard about the Tamir Rice case. Good morning. Yes, pleasant day and pleasant to you. Thank you. Yes, you you know I hear people. Sh- I hear echo here. Turn your radio off. Sh- yes, okay, you would you? Be, yes, as long as you can, you turn your radio off, and then we can hear you better. Yeah, it is. But okay, can you hear me good now, or something? Yeah. There's a problem. Yes. There's a problem. No, no, no. You're fine. Oh, okay, okay. Because I probably got thirty seconds left. Okay. Um. Oh, boy. Uh, it's. it's it seems like it's easy to say, well, this is America, uh, you know, you know, you get what you get, you know. But to me, it's like, hold up, this is a new millennium. We came through a lot of uh, so-called higher learning and higher consciousness to, you know, across the board. It seems that way. And it seems like there might be just this small faction that's really still trying to uh, instigate a whole bunch of stuff. I'm not too sure. You know, so I'm asking a question. I'm asking a question to to you. It's like, do you think this is like a small a faction of people that's trying to stir some, or is this going to be the the climate of America? You know, and worse. And then another thing is like, <clears throat> for the family members who's losing these children, uh, very callously and you know, and, and very animalistically, basically, what do you think? How do you think the family? of the victim should feel about the family of the perpetrators? I mean, what should they do to the families of the perpetrators? Two very good questions. Thank you so much for calling in. Um, He asked two very good questions. I know that Jackie wanted to chime in on that. Yeah, I think to answer that first question, is this, you know, is this what we should expect? No, right? I think that um, the Black Lives Matter movement has done a tremendous amount of work and I think that we're steering towards I mean it's it's going to be a lot of work but I don't think that this is just an inevitability or will be um, forever right I think that we need to correct our sort of social path in this country to make sure that things like this never happen again and bring to light whenever they do so that we can you know fight against our politicians who and fight against our police departments I guess who allow um, this kind of behavior to take place and should the family feel how should the family feel about um, the cops mm-hmm. that shot? I mean, I don't know how. And that's what gets me, I think, the most about this. Like, I don't know how they could ever forgive or get over this. Right. Mm-hmm. This is to lose a child is one of the worst things you can ever go through. And to then know that somebody took your child's life mm-hmm. and, you know, no, without any repercussion whatsoever. I don't know. I mean, I mean, that's for them to I can't tell anybody how they should feel or how they would feel i would imagine that i would never get over that right no so, i agree with that go on stanley i was just gonna say you know in regards to this question is, is this something we should get used to no is this something that just it is the way it is yes um i was not surprised when he was not indicted it was expected i could tell i could tell from the, like the language of the news and the stories they were putting out in relation to this story that he was not going to get indicted and it's frustrating but it just unfortunately is what it is how his family should feel i can tell you how i felt as a person of color 
Um, I felt angry to the point that I was afraid to post anything on social media because it might have been promoting violence. No, I'm still feeling angry because I'm feeling angry about the amount of victim blaming that's going on. Yeah. I am so sick of hearing, oh, well, people should have trained their 12-year-old kid not to run around. No, white kids run around with fake guns all the time and nobody's like going around shooting them. I'm sorry. It is yeah. a race thing. Yeah. And I'm so sick of that. And I'm, you know, and, and, and you and I occupy different places, but yeah. our anger is equally up there yeah. because I'm literally reading comments over here where people are congratulating the prosecutor and saying well maybe if this if these animals trained their children right meanwhile white like I said white kids run around all the time with guns and maybe if it didn't have the the orange cap and maybe this and maybe that no how about maybe if the cops actually came up and did their jobs and they decided to engage and say hey what's going on man instead of just shooting first and asking questions later and like that's a problem we and the fact that people are like oh well if I was in that situation I would have shot first too because you know like if I was an officer then it's my life or his like oh Okay, well then you're. That's why you should never be a cop yeah. <laughs> because I know cops like that would not act that way in that situation. I know plenty of cops that have seen that video and have been like, uh, uh-uh. uh, like that's not the proper way to handle this kind of situation. I know that you. I'm sorry. No, I just like had a moment, but I know you had a legal question you wanted to ask me, so go for it. No, no, you're absolutely right, and I just wanted to add my angle. My anger also resolves around the prosecutor. I just wanted to add that he allowed the cops to take an oath and read statements to a grand jury without answering answering any questions in cross-examination. He was basically working in those cops' behalf. I mean, no one was trying to convict the cops. We were just trying to indict them and find out what really happened. You know what's really sad about this? Like, myself included and so many other, like, black and Spanish kids I know who, growing up, we wanted to be cops to help people. And then now, most of my friends hate cops. And... Mm -hmm. It's it's just ridiculous. You're supposed to be the heroes and you're the killers. And what do you do when the people who are supposed to help you are, are killing you one after the other? But I, I don't want to you know get too introspective. We do have a caller on our line, one of our favorite callers, Brother Omar from the Big Mango. Brother Omar, let your voice be heard. Yes, hello. Uh, good morning and a happy new year to you and your panel. Uh, when this brother asked how should we feel, my answer would be, and I remember in my youth we lost a young man by the name of Emmett Till, who was from Chicago. I would say we should feel the same way his mother felt. Let the whole world see what's going on here in this country, okay? We go and fight all these wars all over the world for freedom, justice, and equality, and they're gunning us down. The more things change, the more they stay the same. And President Obama, I think it's about time. This is going to be your last year as our president. Make us proud of you going out. Let's start passing these laws and making sure that they're enforced. Making sure that they're enforced. We keep hearing that there's only a few bad apples. Well, they must all be up in our communities. So let's all get together and put a stop to this nonsense because they're killing us out here in these streets. Thank you so much, Brother Omar. And I just wanted to piggyback really quickly and say it's not a few bad apples. The system is bad because what happens is when you have these few bad apples, everyone takes a blind eye and they take that blue shield of silence. And then you have prosecutors who work in their behalf so that they're not indicted. And we see this time and time again. Um, A lot of people are wondering what's going to happen now moving forward. Uh, Again, this uh, Tamir Rice's case will not go to trial in that uh, in Cleveland, Ohio. But 
There may be hope or might not. I don't know. We'll, we'll find out. Um, the question is, will the will federal prosecutors be able to take this case to trial? Alyssa? Yeah, so uh, that, uh, it's a good question, and the answer is possibly, right? So um, I'll use uh, Rodney King as an example. In 1992, uh, when Rodney King was beat to death on or beat not to death, but beat Near very badly, death. nearly to death on video, uh, there was also a non-indictment, right? The prosecutor essentially, and I'm going to go on and say it, throws the case when you don't get an indictment in these types of situations. They literally throw the case because, like, I'm very familiar with the criminal justice system. It is so easy to get an indictment that people will say that a grand jury will indict a ham sandwich. So if you can't get an indictment in this situation when it's on video, then something tells me you're throwing the case. But getting back to Selena's question, after the non um, not the non-indictment. Actually, they did get an indictment in the Rodney King case. It went to trial and all the officers were acquitted. Following that, the federal government brought federal uh, civil rights, criminal civil rights charges against those police officers and they were in fact convicted and two of them ended up going to jail for a long time. So the answer to your question is it's quite possible that the federal government, the Department of Justice could get involved. They could investigate the, the case as a criminal violation of his civil rights um, and then they could pr- potentially proceed. That's not to say they necessarily are going to get an indictment or a conviction, but at some, they are somewhat removed uh, from the policing process there in that police don't bring cases through their office like they do at the local prosecutor's office. That's why you've heard so many calls for special prosecutors in these right. situations in other states, but the Department of Justice is like a whole nother layer. So it's definitely a possibility they can get involved. I don't know if they will. Um, I think that sort of goes to Brother Omar's call for the for o- Obama to get involved. I think that, just to clarify something he mentioned um, about laws, like the president can't pass laws on his own. That would require Congress and Congress is controlled by the Republican Party, which in some ways represents some kind of libertarian movement, but in other ways is beholden to the law enforcement community and to lots of money that comes in from them. So it's very unlikely, in my opinion, that we'll see the kind of laws passed through Congress that we would like to see, especially at this juncture in time. However, the president could direct the Department of Justice to look into this you know, assuming right. the Department of Justice isn't already looking into this. So that's a good possibility. Um, I know we have on the line Miss Qual- oh, excuse me, Miss Deborah, who was on the line and would like to let her voice be heard. Good morning. Good morning and happy new year to everybody. Thank you. Listen, I, I, I you know, I'm I'm very saddened by this, but I'm not surprised. And, you know, long before President Obama came along, um, nobody in the community was doing anything. So stop pointing a finger at him because you really don't know what he's doing. You don't know what he's doing. You don't email him. You don't ask him. This is a man who is technical savvy. So you could you could easily tech, you could you could email him. You could Twitter him. You could do anything if you were really concerned about your young brethren. And I'm 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 going. Not for, but I'm speaking about Brother Omar. This, you, even locally, you can't get any help from your, your politicians. Um, this man is threatened constantly. I listen to a lot of radio, okay? They don't even consider him their president, okay? So you want someone to turn around and tell people, and, and more guns have been sold since he's been president. So I don't understand this whole issue about... He's taking our guns away from us. That's a lot of propaganda to try to get somebody to hurt him. So I think people ought to stop before 
they open their mouths. Right. Thank you so much for that, Ms. Deborah. We're going to have to go on a break. But I just want to say that, you know, I think that what people are calling for is for President Obama to continue to use his platform to voice concern about this. And he has. He has spoken on behalf of the Black Lives Matter movement. He's spoken about Trayvon Martin, et cetera, et cetera, when there is injustice. But as Alyssa explained, he cannot legally take certain action. But again, we want him to stand up. And there's another person that everyone is calling to stand up on this case, LeBron James, King James, they are calling for him to say something, and he won't. After this break, we're going to talk about should LeBron James use his platform to stand up for Tamir Rice. And we are back. This is Let Your Voice Be Heard right here on WHCR 90.3 FM, the voice of Harlem. We're talking about the Tamir Rice case. As we know, the cops who shot this 12-year-old black boy have not been indicted, and they've been cleared of all charges. And um, we're basically just talking about this and just criminal justice. We need some type of reform. It's the system itself. Um, And a shout-out to all the callers who have been chiming in, too. I wanted to thank you guys for letting your voices be heard. Um, As I mentioned, before we went on break, a number of people on Twitter, on the online community, have been calling for LeBron James to step up. He is a superstar in Cleveland, Ohio, one of the biggest people in the state, and he's basically taken a, a, a hands-off approach. He said, I don't know enough about it to actually speak about it, and I feel a little conflicted because on one hand, LeBron James, he's a basketball player, right? He doesn't get paid to stand out for social justice, and I don't expect him to speak for me or to do things. You know, That's where activists come into play or what we do here on Let Your Voice Be Heard. But on the other hand, he has power. Look what happened in Missouri. It wasn't until those football players decided to stop playing that they actually took action in that university against racism. Jackie, what is your opinion on that? Yeah, I think, I mean, ultimately... Whether he stays silent or he speaks out, I think that if he does speak out, that's good, right? Because I think that everybody um, in their positions of power, if they know that this is wrong and they know that there's something wrong happening here, they should say something um, because it changes the culture, right? When we start seeing celebrities and um, sports players and people that we really revere that make a lot of money, that have a lot of influence, saying this is unacceptable, the way that things are working, it's going to call a lot more attention to it, right? Um, And it's going to enter the discourse a lot more. However, he's not an elected official. He's not the president um, who, you know, although the president can't make any laws, we talked about this. Um, so it's, it's difficult for me to say, like, yes, he has to say something. He has to speak out vocally. I would hope that he would. But ultimately, I think that we need to focus on more of a systemic change um, and, you know, hold our elected officials accountable for this. Well, they were asking him to boycott games which um, I, I, I get why he didn't do that, because he boycotts the game. It's going to be an argument about why is LeBron James getting into this, and it takes away from the actual conversation. And he's right. It is bigger than him. When he makes statements about things that happen like this, it's appreciated, and he does it a lot, and I really appreciate that. And he pays for all. He's, he's spending $41 million to send, I think, over 1,000 people to college. And I think that matters yeah. more than him boycotting this game because him boycotting the game is not going to change the system. And also, he lives in Cleveland. And you know what? He's a big black man. That makes him a target. Yeah, and it is bigger than him, I think, is exactly the point I was trying to make. Yeah. Yeah, no, I think that's fair. I mean, he has a lot of visibility. So it's always great, as Stanley points out, when an athlete's going to speak out. But I, at the same time, you can't expect him to stop playing basketball in order to create some kind of social change because at the end of the day, 
day. I think more of the kind of movements that we've been having with Black Lives Matter and civil rights uprisings that we've seen based on the systemic injustices that we're seeing within the criminal justice system and with policing issues over the past year or year and a half or so. Um, And those are really the kinds of things that I think are going to have a lot of traction. And it's great when a celebrity can get behind that. Um, but I feel like you don't want that celebrity leading. You want them. You want the activists leading, and the yeah. celebrities right. getting behind it because that's what's really going to have the traction. Like Jay Z right. or Black Lives Matter. Right, and, and remember, they have a lot of power, and I say use that power and platform for good. Um, so, with that being said, we wanted to move on to talk about this quote unquote war on cops that has been basically been a buzzword or buzz phrase for the last year and a half. And I heard it particularly around um, the time that NYPD officers Regin Liu and Rafael Ramos were killed. Remember mm-hmm. December 2014, uh, they were killed by a man who was mentally ill, who shot his girlfriend in Maryland and then drove to New York City and shot these two cops of color and shot himself in, in Brooklyn and then went on a subway platform and shot himself. Right. So and he was black. So a lot of people were like, oh, my God, the Black Lives Matter movement is basically revving people up to go shoot. We keep hearing. So this is the argument. You keep hearing um, fry all the pigs in a blanket. Right. And then there was actually some chance um, in New York City where people were saying we want the cops dead. So they were arguing, look, now people are actually going out and killing and cops are under siege. So these two officers were actually uh, were two among the 51 Uh, police officers that were killed in the line of duty in 2014. Um, And the thing is, basically what they're saying is, you know, there were 51 cops that were shot. It's being fueled by the Black Lives Matter movement. However, there was a study that came out that proves the opposite. If we look at historically how many cops that have been shot in in the last few decades, in the last few years even, it's on a decline. Right. So people who are calling this a quote-unquote war on cops are, are basically ridiculous and they're distracting and taking so much away from the real issues at hand. So let me give you some actual facts and figures here. I know uh, Selena mentioned the 51 officers who were killed in the line of duty in 2014. In 2015, that number was 36 officers. However, four of those officers were actually canine units, meaning they were dogs. So there was only 32 human being officers that were killed in the line of duty in 2012. That's actually half of the annual average. Since 1980, on average, approximately 64 police officers are killed in the line of duty every year. So if you're looking at that number, 32, that's literally half of what the annual average is. Um, the safest year on record for police in the past 10 years was 2013, where there was only 27 uh, officers killed in the line of duty. However, if you compare that to the 1970s, during the 1970s, the number of officers killed in the line of duty was six times higher. So 64 times six, do the math, you'll figure out that's a very large number of officers that were being killed every year in the line of duty during the 1970s. During Prohibition, During the 1920s, when alcohol was illegal, the number of police officers killed in the line of duty was actually 14 to 17 times higher than the average since 1980. So, again, 
times the number 64 by 14 or by 17, and you will get a very, very large number that I am not able to do the math off the top of my head at the moment. Um, And that will tell you that this idea that there is a war on cops or that asking for police to be held accountable uh, for these types of shootings that we are seeing of innocent civilians, unarmed civilians, etc., or this moment that we're having where, you know, uh, people are now reacting to these disturbing incidents with aggressive calls for systemic changes. That is not a war on police. Um, And that has not fueled an increase in police killings, because as I just pointed out, police killings are actually way down. So it's actually safer to be a police officer now than it almost ever was in the past, ever. The idea that there's a war on police is just completely irrelevant. Even if we didn't have these numbers here to show you, it's it's, it's just not the case. And I think what's happening is that People are pushing back because we're asking for accountability. Right. Because, sorry, go ahead, Jackie. Oh, yeah. Well, I think that a lot of um, people who criticize Black Lives Matter think of the the movement as almost like Black ISIS. Like, they're like, oh, they're recruiting people <laughs> to, like, come after cops. And, and that's not what anybody's asking for. And that's a really stupid and sort of simplistic way of looking at this movement. Like, oh, they don't want cops. They want cops to die because cops are killing black people in this country and it's like no that's not what anybody is asking for and if that's what you hear someone asking for then they are not truly a part of that movement right what people are asking for is accountability they want their police officers to be safe they want real community policing people aren't looking for you know cops to be harmed in any way but they don't want i mean look at what happened here with tamir rice this is the worst case scenario of a child someone's child being shot to death before like in front of everybody for playing with a toy like this is where we are as a country right so we can't no one's calling for harm to police officers that would be awful right Mm -hmm. we're not asking for that we're asking for accountability because to have a child be shot in front of you that lose your child due to the actions of the police and then have no repercussions for these cops is the worst like we can't go on right and 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 part of that is this this last part of the conversation that i know we wanted to talk to which is like how to bridge the gap between blue and black lives right well when you have a situation where there's a breakdown in trust between the black community and between the law enforcement community and even beyond the black community just between the community in general pretty much everybody that's not white and even well-meaning white people that see these systemic things so now you have a breakdown right if i am living in harlem and i maybe see potentially some kind and I'm a law abiding citizen and I'm making you know this is a hypothetical and I see some kind of um potentially criminal action going on or maybe I'm even a victim of a crime myself and now I'm like wait I'm gonna call the police no I'm not like how can I trust that the police are not gonna show up I've had clients that have literally called my office who have been like I called the cops and I ended up getting arrested right. so you right. literally have a mistrust and a breakdown between blue lives and black lives and or blue lives and minority lives in the community and that doesn't help anybody because then it's like who do you call when you actually need the police there and you can't trust that the police are gonna show up and help you and maybe show up and arrest you instead when you're the one calling them that's a problem that yeah. attitude has been resonated in the black community forever, it seems like. You know, where they have that code, you know, don't snitch. I I remember, like, there was a group of um, black teenagers that seemed like they might have been gathering some criminal mischief or whatever, just being, you know, juveniles. We didn't call the cops because we were like, those cops might come there and shoot them. We don't know that. And then, I mean, like, when the fact that 
there was actually, my friend was telling me how, one of my good friends, she was telling me how there was like this huge fight on her block and they actually did call the cops and the cops didn't come to eight hours later. The breakdown of trust in the black community with police officers has never been there. And I just think things are getting captured on camera now and being talked about online. A lot of things need to happen. We need a police force and a leadership structure that is open and transparent about working with the community and actually meaning it. We need people to be more active and engage with the police. Every police precinct has precinct meetings, and people can be going to those meetings. But we also need a police force that isn't just ready. Their first instinct first. shouldn't be, these are criminals. And like, like you mentioned, you call the cops, they come to your house because you call them, they arrest you. That happened to me when I was 19. My dad called the cops. Because I think he thought his car was stolen. He actually parked it somewhere else. And I was sitting on my stoop reading a book. And the cops came and said, what the F are you doing here? And I said, I live here. They said, show me your ID. I went to show them my ID, handcuffed me, and put me in a squad car. Like, so, so, uh, and the reason they did that was because they came and they're automatically looking for, like, a culprit, looking for someone to, They're like, like, oh, black man on the stoop, better put him in handcuffs. Like, they're like rabid animals. Yeah, and if that's what your mindset (laughs) is from the beginning... How can you possibly expect to be helpful? If you're here to serve and protect, you have to serve and protect and engage aggressively when necessary. And I think, Selena, getting back to a point that you made earlier, where it's not necess- it's not that everybody, if you are a cop, you are a bad person, right? right? But there's this system that breeds these bad apples that it's not just like a couple people that are messing up and they speak for everybody else. It's that if this behavior is often encouraged, right, Um, because of the way the structure is set up. And there needs to be a change. And that's going to be a difficult change. You know, it's difficult in any kind of relationship, whether it's the cops with the community or just in your own relationships, right, to build trust when it's been broken. And it is broken. Well, because the change in power structure is always difficult. So when you come from a historical perspective of the police in some ways perpetuating the idea of white supremacy for so long, and then you want to have this change in power structure. I mean, I said to you guys earlier that the uh, there are actually black and Latino police officers in New York City suing the department over what they perceive as being racist or racially based quota policies. Yep. And I don't mean to imply that all cops are quote unquote rabid animals, as I said before. Um, you know, there are well-meaning officers out there uh, that have signed up for, like Stanley pointed out, like some of us wanted to be police officers when we were younger because we wanted to figure out a way to help the community. The problem is there's such a disconnect now between that idea of signing up to be a police officer to help the community because of the top-down kind of directives that they're getting from supervisors so you can go in with all the good intentions in the world but now you're you know you're in this system but I actually wanted to respond to something else Jackie said and unfortunately right now it's totally escaping me so I'm going to throw it over to Selena to respond no problem um no we have a few minutes so I just wanted to wrap up get final thoughts and comments on where do we go next what else needs to be done I don't, I don't I don't know where to go next honestly I'm, I'm at a loss for ideas and suggestions we don't exist in a place of logic critical thinking or empathy and you can't go anywhere when you're not doing those things everyone thinks they're the victim and no one wants to be held accountable I, I mean empathy I think is sort of the key as you just pointed out there was a news story and I personally want to end on this note last week about how an off-duty off an off-duty NYPD officer who had gone for the uh, critical response training, which was the training that the NYPD is giving. It should be given to everybody, and hopefully it will, but right now only to a small subset of officers who want to take it, about how to deal with somebody who's in some kind of mental crisis. And this off-duty police officer encountered a gentleman who is in some kind of mental crisis, and rather than shooting him 
calling the police to come shoot him, etc. All he did was exercise some empathy. He gave the guy a hug. And guess what? The guy ended up being all right and everybody was all right. And and yes, the issue is bigger than that and we have to deal with the systemic issues within of, of racism within the criminal justice system at the big level. But at the same time, we also have to teach better empathy and to say, listen, you know what? Sometimes all you need to do to stop a crime in progress is just reach out and talk to people like human beings and give somebody a hug. And that's not going to solve all the problems, but it's a, definitely a step in the right direction when we talk about changing the trust aspect and bridging that gap between blue and black lives. Because at the end of the day, as you point out, nobody wants to see police officers killed and nobody wants to see people being killed by the police. And we have to find a better way forward because the way forward we're going is not currently working. Yeah, I I mean, to piggyback on both of you, it's, it's a really difficult thing to address. Like, what do we do here? Because we know and we've talked about this for so long and we know that there's a major um, breach in trust between these communities and we need to bridge that gap. I mean, it needs we need to live in a country where anybody who is experiencing a crime or something bad happening can call the police and expect to not be arrested on their front stoop or to actually receive help. And it's not an easy job to be a cop, right? And to be a good cop, I would imagine, is even more difficult um, and often impossible when you have quotas and things like that to adhere to. But we need that needs to be the goal where we have police officers that can actually be a part of the community that you can trust that they're trained well so that they're not going to shoot your child. I mean, that is, I can't even Unless fathom. Unless it's absolutely warranted, right? And I mean, there are some situations where it may be, but, but this, but this is But this is a child who was shot before they even got out of the car. I mean, it's it, the fact that there is no indictment and Alyssa... Um, or Selena said it before, an indictment is different than a conviction, right? There's no indictment. They're not going to look into this further. I mean, maybe the Justice Department will, but I mean, this system is so broken and there needs to, it needs to be fixed. When the question comes, how do we bridge the gap between police, communities of colors, blue and black lives? I think that the solution is definitely community policing. Policing, when it works and when it works right, it does well. I think that if those two officers were involved in that community, maybe they came down to the recreational center. Maybe they knew Tamir Rice right. and some of the kids. Maybe right. if they had some type of relationship with the community and they weren't always there to police right. the community, then they would know and understand like, oh, that's Miss Brown's child. What you doing out? What you doing over here? Why, you know, doesn't, like, your gun, why doesn't your toy gun have your red cap on that, it? Exactly. Exactly. Like, I mean, like, I know my community. I know that there's a homeless person that comes around here and is completely harmless and, co you know, collects the, the, the trash cans. And sometimes, you know, I mean, I just feel like as people in the community, we know when there's harm and where there's danger and when there's not. And I think that when you have police officers acting at like outsiders and having no previous interaction with people of color, except for when they watch 50 Cent videos, it's a problem. And that only perpetuates the, the, the um, systematic ills of racism in our country and in the police institution. And that needs to stop. I mean, there is things that can be done. We need to train our police officers how to be a part of the community instead of killing people in the community. Um, and on that note, I want to end there, and I will just say, you know, last but not least, I think that we can use all the voices and help we can, whether that's from LeBron James or from people who happen to be listening. We need this is a problem in America, and we need everyone to get involved. Because you know what? That could have been LeBron James' son. 
Okay? He be, lives in Cleveland. And it could be your son next. That's very true. On that note, we're going to go to a quick break. But when we come back, we're hitting up the News Roundup. WHCR 90.3 FM, New York. 